O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom for ever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Thursday, July 1. Journey with me through the entire Bible in one year, focusing on the biblical calendar, the Sabbath, the feasts, and the Torah reading cycle. We have many voices, interpretations, and points of view out there, but there is nothing like listening to the crystal clean, pure Word of God in your life. It is living water for your spirit, as it is written in Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When we listen to the Word of God, it is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews 4.12 The Word of God is alive, it is powerful, and it renews our mind and builds up our spirit. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give pick on the Navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers. And thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Pinchas. Numbers 28, 1-31 The Lord said to Moses, Give these instructions to the people of Israel. The offerings you present as special gifts are a pleasing aroma to me. They are my food. See to it that they are brought at the appointed times and offered according to my instructions. Say to the people, This is the special gift you must present to the Lord as your daily burnt offering. You must offer two one-year-old male lambs with no defects. Sacrifice one lamb in the morning and the other in the evening. With each lamb you must offer a grain offering of two quarts of choice flour mixed with one quart of pure oil of pressed olives. This is the regular burnt offering instituted at Mount Sinai as a special gift a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Along with it, you must present the proper liquid offering of one quart of drink offering with each lamb poured out in the holy place as an offering to the Lord. Offer the second lamb in the evening with the same grain offering and liquid offering. It too is a special gift. 
a pleasing aroma to the Lord. On the Sabbath day, sacrifice two one-year-old male lambs with no defects. They must be accompanied by a grain offering of four quarts of choice flour moistened with olive oil and a liquid offering. This is the burnt offering to be presented each Sabbath day in addition to the regular burnt offering and its accompanying liquid offering. On the first day of each month, present an extra burnt offering to the Lord of two young bulls, one ram, and seven one-year-old male lambs, all with no defects. These must be accompanied by grain offerings of choice flour, moistened with olive oil, six quarts with each bull, four quarts with the ram, and two quarts with each lamb. This burnt offering will be a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. You must also present a liquid offering with each sacrifice, two quarts of wine for each bull, a third of a gallon for the ram, and one quart for each lamb. Present this monthly burnt offering on the first day of each month throughout the year. On the first day of each month, you must also offer one male goat for a sin offering to the Lord. This is an addition to the regular burnt offering and its accompanying liquid offering. On the fourteenth day of the first month, you must celebrate the Lord's Passover. On the following day, the fifteenth day of the month, a joyous seven-day festival will begin, but no bread made with yeast may be eaten. The first day of the festival will be an official day for holy assembly, and no ordinary work may be done on that day. As a special gift, you must present a burnt offering to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram, and seven one-year-old male lambs, all with no defects. These will be accompanied by grain offerings of choice flour moistened with olive oil, six quarts with each bull, four quarts with the ram, and two quarts with each of the seven lambs. You must also offer a male goat as a sin offering to purify yourselves and make yourselves right with the Lord. Present these offerings in addition to your regular morning burnt offering. On each of the seven days of the festival, this is how you must prepare the food offering that is presented as a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. These will be offered in addition to the regular burnt offerings and liquid offerings. The seventh day of the festival will be another official day for holy assembly, and no ordinary work may be done on that day. At the festival of harvest, when you present the first of your new grain to the Lord, you must call an official day for the holy assembly, and you may do no ordinary work on that day. Present a special burnt offering on that day as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It will consist of two young bulls, one ram, and seven one-year-old male lambs. These will be accompanied by grain offerings of choice flour moistened with olive oil, six quarts with each bull, four quarts with the ram, and two quarts with each of the seven lambs. Also, offer one male goat to purify yourselves and make yourselves right with the Lord. Prepare these special burnt offerings along with their liquid offerings, in addition to the regular burnt offering and its accompanying grain offering. Be sure that all the animals you sacrifice have no defects. 
2 Kings 18.13-19.37 In the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah's reign, King Sennacherib of Assyria came to attack the fortified towns of Judah and conquer them. King Hezekiah sent this message to the king of Assyria at Lachish. I have done wrong. I will pay whatever tribute money you demand if you will only withdraw. The king of Assyria then demanded a settlement of more than 11 tons of silver and one ton of gold. To gather this amount, King Hezekiah used all the silver stored in the temple of the Lord and in the palace treasury. Hezekiah even stripped the gold from the doors of the Lord's temple and from the doorposts he had overlaid with gold, and he gave it all to the Assyrian king. Nevertheless, the king of Assyria sent his commander-in-chief, his field commander, and his chief of staff from Lachish with a huge army to confront King Hezekiah in Jerusalem. The Assyrians took up a position beside the aqueduct that feeds water into the upper pool near the road leading to the field where cloth is washed. They summoned King Hezekiah, but the king sent these officials to meet with them, Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the court secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the royal historian. Then the Assyrian king's chief of staff told them to give this message to Hezekiah. This is what the great king of Assyria says. What are you trusting in that makes you so confident? Do you think that mere words can substitute for military skill and strength? Who are you counting on that you may have rebelled against me? On Egypt? If you lean on Egypt, it will be like a reed that splinters beneath your weight and pierces your hand. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is completely unreliable. But perhaps you will say to me, We are trusting in the Lord our God. But isn't he the one who was insulted by Hezekiah? Didn't Hezekiah tear down his shrines and altars and make everyone in Judah and Jerusalem worship only at the altar here in Jerusalem? I'll tell you what. Strike a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you two thousand horses, if you can find that many men to ride on them. With your tiny army, how can you think of challenging even the weakest contingent of my master's troops, even with the help of Egypt's chariots and charioteers? What's more, do you think we have invaded your land without the Lord's direction? The Lord himself told us, Attack this land and destroy it. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, Shebna, and Joah said to the Assyrian chief of staff, Please speak to us in Aramaic, for we understand it well. Don't speak in Hebrew, for the people on the wall will hear. But Sennacherib's chief of staff replied, Do you think my master sent this message only to you and your master? He wants all the people to hear it, for when we put the city under siege, they will suffer along with you. They will be so hungry and thirsty that they will eat their own dung and drink their own urine. 
Then the chief of staff stood and shouted in Hebrew to the people on the wall, Listen to this message from the great king of Assyria. This is what the king says, Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He will never be able to rescue you from my power. Don't let him fool you into trusting in the Lord by saying, The Lord will surely rescue us. This city will never fall into the hands of the Assyrian king. Don't listen to Hezekiah. These are the terms the king of Assyria is offering. Make peace with me. Open the gates and come out. Then each of you can continue eating from your own grapevine and fig tree and drinking from your own well. Then I will arrange to take you to another land like this one, a land of grain and new wine, bread and vineyards, olive groves and honey. Choose life instead of death. Don't listen to Hezekiah when he tries to mislead you by saying, The Lord will rescue us. Have the gods of any other nations ever saved their people from the king of Assyria? What happened to the gods of Hamath and Arpad? And what about the gods of Sepharvaim, Hina, and Eva? Did any god rescue Samaria from my power? What god of any nation has ever been able to save its people from my power? So what makes you think that the Lord can rescue Jerusalem from me? But the people were silent and did not utter a word because Hezekiah had commanded them, Do not answer him. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the court secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the royal historian, went back to Hezekiah. They tore their clothes in despair, and they went in to see the king and told him what the Assyrian chief of staff had said. When King Hezekiah heard their report, he tore his clothes and put on burlap, and went into the temple of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim the palace administrator, Shebna the court secretary, and the leading priests, all dressed in burlap, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. They told him, This is what King Hezekiah says, Today is a day of trouble, insults, and disgrace. It is like when a child is ready to be born, but the mother has no strength to deliver the baby. But perhaps the Lord your God has heard the Assyrian chief of staff sent by the king to defy the living God and will punish him for his words. Oh, pray for those of us who are left. After King Hezekiah's officials delivered the king's message to Isaiah, the prophet replied, Say to your master, This is what the Lord says. Do not be disturbed by this blasphemous speech against me from the Assyrian king's messengers. Listen, I myself will move against him, and the king will receive a message that he is needed at home. So he will return to his land, where I will have him killed with a sword. Meanwhile, the Assyrian chief of staff left Jerusalem and went to consult with the king of Assyria, who had left Lachish and was attacking Libna. Soon afterward, King Sennacherib received word that King Terhaka of Ethiopia was leading an army to fight against him. Before leaving to meet the attack, he sent messengers back to Hezekiah in Jerusalem with this message. This message is for King Hezekiah of Judah. Don't let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you with promises 
that Jerusalem will not be captured by the king of Assyria. You know perfectly well what the kings of Assyria have done wherever they have gone. They have completely destroyed everyone who stood in their way. Why should you be any different? Have the gods of other nations rescued them, such nations as Gozan, Haran, Rezif, and the people of Eden who were in Tel Asar? My predecessors destroyed them all. What happened to the king of Hamath and the king of Arpad? What happened to the kings of Sepharvaim, Hina, and Eva? After Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. O Lord God of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. You alone are God of all the kings of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. Bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O Yahweh, and see. Listen to Sennacherib's words of defiance against the living God. It is true, Yahweh, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations, and they have thrown the gods of these nations into the fire and burned them. But of course, the Assyrians could destroy them. They were not gods at all, only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Now, O Lord our God, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent this message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I have heard your prayer about King Sennacherib of Assyria, and the Lord has spoken this word against him. The virgin daughter of Zion despises you and laughs at you. The daughter of Jerusalem shakes her head in derision as you flee. Whom have you been defying and ridiculing? Against whom did you raise your voice? At whom did you look with such haughty eyes? It was the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have defied the Lord. You have said, With my many chariots I have conquered the highest mountains, yes, the remotest peaks of Lebanon. I have cut down its tallest cedars and its finest cypress trees. I have reached its farthest corners and explored its deepest forests. I have dug wells in many foreign lands and refreshed myself with their water. With the sole of my foot I stopped up all the rivers of Egypt. But have you not heard? I decided this long ago. Long ago I planned it, and now I am making it happen. I planned for you to crush fortified cities into heaps of rubble. That is why their people have so little power and are so frightened and confused. They are as weak as grass, as easily trampled as tender green shoots. They are like grass sprouting on a housetop, scorched before it can grow lush and tall. But I know you well, where you stay and when you come and go. I know the way you have raged against me, and because of your raging against me and your arrogance, which I have heard for myself, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. I will make you return by the same road on which you came. 
Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Here is the proof that what I say is true. This year you will eat only what grows up by itself, and next year you will eat what springs up from that. But in the third year you will plant crops and harvest them. You will tend vineyards and eat their fruit. And you who are left in Judah, who have escaped the ravages of the siege, will put down roots in your own soil and will grow up and flourish. For a remnant of my people will spread out from Jerusalem, a group of survivors from Mount Zion. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. And this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. His armies will not enter Jerusalem. They will not even shoot an arrow at it. They will not march outside its gates with their shields, nor build banks of earth against its walls. The king will return to his own country by the same road on which he came. He will not enter the city, says Yahweh. For my own honor and for the sake of my servant David, I will defend this city and protect it. That night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. Then King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and returned to his own land. He went home to his capital of Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god Nisroch, his sons Adramelech and Sherezer killed him with their swords. They then escaped to the land of Ararat, and another son, Esarhaddon, became the next king of Assyria. Acts 21, 1-17 After saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, we, Luke, Paul, and their companions, sailed straight to the island of Kos. The next day we reached Rhodes and then went to Patara. Then we boarded a ship sailing for Phoenicia. We sighted the island of Cyprus, passed it on our left, and landed at the harbor of Tyre in Syria, where the ship was to unload its cargo. We went ashore, found the local believers, and stayed with them a week. Those believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. When we returned to the ship at the end of the week, the entire congregation, including women and children, left the city and came down to the shore with us. There we knelt, prayed, and said our farewells. Then we went aboard, and they returned home. The next stop after leaving Tyre was Ptolemus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed for one day. The next day we went on to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. He had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. Several days later, a man named Agabus who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his own feet and hands with it. Then he said, The Holy Spirit declares, So shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. 
But he said, Why all this weeping? You are breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. After this, we packed our things and left for Jerusalem. Some believers from Caesarea accompanied us, and they took us to the home of Mason, a man originally from Cyprus, and one of the early believers. When we arrived, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem welcomed us warmly. Psalm 149, 1-9 Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praises in the assembly of the faithful. O Israel, rejoice in your Maker. O people of Jerusalem, exult in your King. Praise his name with dancing, accompanied by tambourine and harp. For the Lord delights in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Let the faithful rejoice that he honors them. Let them sing for joy as they lie on their beds. Let the praises of God be in their mouths and a sharp sword in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with shackles and their leaders with iron chains, to execute the judgment written against them. This is the glorious privilege of his faithful ones. Praise the Lord. Proverbs 18.8 Rumors are dainty morsels that sink deep into one's heart. Have you ever been under intense psychological warfare? Perhaps it was a situation at work where there was a coworker or a boss that was doing everything they could to get you to quit or resign or retire early. Perhaps it's a family member who's giving intense pressure to you to go ahead and take this vaccine or experimental gene therapy jab, and you've already made up your mind that you're not going to do it. And yet the psychological warfare is so intense everywhere in the media, on Facebook and on the mainstream media and on TV channels and on YouTube, you're hearing messages about taking this vaccine. Perhaps a family member has been intensely putting peer pressure on you to take the shot. Psychological warfare can take many forms, and it's very, very intense. It's an assault on our mind and on our thoughts. When prisoners are taken captive, often they will wage psychological warfare against them and do things like give them deprivation of sleep or play extremely loud music that is very much against that captive's beliefs. This is what King Hezekiah faced, was intense psychological warfare. Trash talk. You see it even on basketball courts when Players trash talk members of the other team to break them down psychologically so that they can break them down first psychologically and then physically in the actual sport. 
That's what the enemy does to us. He wants to break us down. He wants to shake us up. He wants our faith in God to be shaken, to waver, that we'll go into unbelief, fear, and doubt. So this is what King Hezekiah faced in 2 Kings chapter 19. Starting in verse 10, we see the opposing king of Assyria sending this message to him. This message is for King Hezekiah of Judah. Don't let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you with promises that Jerusalem will not be captured by the king of Assyria. You know perfectly well what the kings of Assyria have done wherever they have gone. They have completely destroyed everyone who stood in their way. Why should you be any different? And he goes on in his letter to taunt him and to torment him and to remind him of all the victories that he's had against other kings in the region. And so the psychological warfare has been going on for quite some time. They've had previous messages and they're speaking it out to all the people, not just to the king and to his leadership, but to all the people. They're hearing these messages. So what did Hezekiah do? In response. Typically, what do we do when we've been under psychological warfare? Attack. Recognize that these psychological warfare attacks, what the source of it is, it's from the pit of hell. It's demons talking, demons speaking out their lies whether it's out loud and spoken by another person or just thoughts that come flying into our mind. But that's what the source of it is. It comes from the pit of hell. And so we need to recognize who the enemy is. Number one, recognize the enemy. Number two, don't take it personal. It's very hard not to. Those flying arrows and stinging darts really, really, really hurt. But we're not to take it personal. It's the demons talking. Number three, now that we know who the enemy is, we need to recognize that the psychological warfare, the assault with the words and the thoughts, that they're lies. They are lies from the pit of hell. And we're not to even engage them or come into agreement with them. And then number four, to fight back. How do we fight back? Do we engage in verbal taunts and repay evil for evil or insult for insult? No. What did Hezekiah do? Let's look at it. Verse 14. After Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed. He understood this was spiritual warfare. The enemy was assaulting him with words, with thoughts, with psychological warfare. And so he's bringing it to God. So when we come under psychological warfare attack, that's what we need to do. We need to go to prayer and fight back in the spirit. So this is what he prayed. Verse 15, O Lord, God of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. You alone 
are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. He begins with remembering and reciting the nature and cherubim uh, character. He began with reciting and remembering the nature and character of God, of who he is, that he is the only one and only God of all the earth, and that he's the creator of the earth. Verse 16, bend down, O Yahweh, and listen. Open your eyes, O Yahweh, and see. Listen to Sennacherib's words of defiance against the living God. It is true, Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations, and they have thrown the gods of these nations into the fire and burned them. But of course, the Assyrians could destroy them. They were not gods at all, only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Now, O Lord our God, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord, are God. And so he concludes his prayer with, I want you to be lifted up. I want you to be glorified. I want all the nations to see that you are the God, that when you bring us this victory, you get all the glory. So that's a great way to pray when you're under attack, under psychological warfare attack, is that you pray that somehow as you fight this battle for me on my behalf, May you be lifted up. May you be glorified. And may all that watch and see this battle unfold know that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the God of Israel. This may seem simple, and yet when we're in the midst of the battle, the heat of the battle, and we're actually getting barbs and stings and flaming arrows slung at us, when we're getting tarred and feathered and slimed demonically, it's easy to forget. So it's important to remember to step away from the battle, get out of the arena, get away and pray and do battle in prayer and ask God to fight the battle on your behalf. Ask him for his strategy. Ask him to silence the mouth of the enemy. Ask him to get rid of the demons that are operating, that are slinging the arrows and throwing the mud. Now let's jump into the book of Acts, chapter 21. And we see a poignant scene where Paul is getting ready to leave. And he's heading towards Jerusalem. And in Caesarea, Paul is there. And in verse 10, it says, Several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over and took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands with it. Then he said, The Holy Spirit declares, So shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and be turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But he said, why all this weeping? You are breaking my heart. 
I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord. Yeshua. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade him otherwise, he gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. So now Paul has been warned by a prophet that when he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be put in prison. And knowing this, Paul still goes to Jerusalem, knowing that he's about to step into a prison trap, knowing that he's going to be jailed and lose his freedom. He still goes. Why? Why wouldn't he just escape that fate? He could certainly go and preach the gospel in lots of other places and not face prison time. And our flesh naturally wants to avoid hardship and suffering. If you knew ahead of time, well, if I go to this place, um, I'm going to go to jail there. Wouldn't you want to avoid that place? Yet Paul goes. Why? He was called to go. He was on a mission. The Lord had given him an assignment. And he was going to complete and fulfill the assignment. Our natural reaction is often to flee, run away, protect yourself. Escape that fate. And yet if God has called you to it, you've got to accept the assignment and walk into it and complete it. And sometimes this can be extremely difficult to go back to that assignment, that task, whatever it might be. Maybe your job is taking care of an elderly parent who's got dementia and who's extremely abusive. And when you care for that elderly parent, they heap all kinds of abuse. And it would be easy to walk away. And yet God has called you. He's given you an assignment. Take care of your elderly parent. Maybe your job is you have a some kind of a job where you have a boss who has an axe to grind and has it in for you. And he is doing everything he can to make you want to quit your job or get you fired. Yet God has called you to be there. That's the assignment he's given to you. Perhaps you're in a marriage and your spouse is not a believer and your spouse is harsh and angry and unkind. Yet God has called you to stay in this marriage. It's his assignment for you. We all have some kind of an assignment that God has given us, and it's a test, and he wants to see if we will pass the test. We all have some kind of a cross that we must endure, and that cross is an instrument of death, and he wants us to die to self so that the life of Yeshua will be lived out in us and through us. And sometimes what he leads us into is very painful and very difficult, and we just want to run away. And yet he's called us to endure our cross. Now let's look at Psalm 149, verse 4 and 5. The Lord delights in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. 
Let the faithful rejoice that he honors them. Let them sing for joy as they lie on their beds. Heavenly Father, we love you, we bless you, and we praise you. We thank you that when you call us into these difficult situations, that we are not alone, that you are there with us, and that you will equip us and train us and give us everything that we need to get through the different circumstances in life that you bring to us. We thank you that we can turn to you in prayer when we're under psychological warfare attack and that you will be with us in those battles and you will fight those battles for us. We thank you that we can learn to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. We love you, we bless you, and we praise you. In Yeshua's name, amen. Vish Mareka Yah Adonai Vikuneka The Aaronic Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.